Hello, and welcome to the Loft Podcast. We are so excited about today's message, the book of Acts. Get ready to have your thinking challenged and your faith turned up. Here's Lisa. You guys, the first things that happen in the book of Acts are Jesus' ascension. He's already come. He's already lived a sinless life. He's had his whole ministry for three years. And he's risen from the dead even, and he's appeared to his disciples in, in many different places. So much so that people, when, when the Roman government and the Jewish leaders would try to get people to recant that Jesus was the Messiah, they would not recant, even to the point of being burned on a stake, even to the point of their own lives being sawn in two, even to the point of death. They said, we, can't re- we cannot recant. We will never recant. You will not say that unless something very powerful has happened to you. And can I just add in right here, it's going to be really hard to continually follow God and look after God and pour over scripture if you never have an encounter with Jesus Christ. It would be a horrible experience to be a Christian and go to church every week and never encounter the presence or power of Jesus Christ. And I know him, and I know he's calling some of us to do big moves, big moves. Maybe it's 100% repentance and surrender. I heard someone say that this morning. Well, what are you waiting for? For crying out loud, the water is good over here in the presence of God. The authority of God only comes because of the purposes of God. It, the authority and power of God, Acts 1.8, we read last week, you will receive the Holy Spirit, and with that, you will receive power to witness all over the world. There's a couple attributes of power, more than witnessing, preaching, healing, praying prayers, and people actually get healed. Being bold as a lion to declare what you believe and not loving your life even if you die. Those are the, those are the qualities of power that came from Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You're going to receive it. What for? The first place we go to in the book of Acts then, in in chapter 3, is the disciples start to step up in that power. We saw in chapter 2, Peter steps out in holy boldness and makes this incredible sermon. You should read it for yourself, Acts 1 and 2. We're going to pick up in 3 in just a second. Acts 1, you guys can totally use the downstairs for all that you want. All of your play needs will be at your at your leisure and at your hand. So I love that little kid. I know, I know Facebook audience is like, what is happening in that place? It's the children being born for the next generation. So you guys, for the, for the book of Acts kind of stories, Peter, after he does his great bold preaching, it's all about Peter in the first few chapters of the book of Acts. It's all about him. It's all about his boldness because he was the guy that wanted to cut off a soldier's ear. He did do that. He's the guy that wants to defend Jesus and say, you'll never go to the cross as long as you're on my watch. That's Peter. And, and Peter's the same one that denied Jesus and the same one that hid out in an upper room, afraid. Man, my leader's dead. They're going to murder me too. And here's Peter after the day of Pentecost, after these tongues of fire come, after this holy situation occurs and and people are hearing the gospel story in tongues that is their native tongue by people that never learned their native tongue it's it's a wild ride and they have this great experience and something happened in peter that now he's out publicly professing his faith when before he was much afraid he went from much afraid to very bold it's a powerful thing we pick this up in in chapter three where 
Peter and John, they're hanging out together, but Peter's the mouthpiece most, most of the time, which is not surprising. And he comes upon a man who is crippled, and he's sitting at a gate. The gate is called Beautiful, and he's been there since he was born. Crippled since he was born, and he's 40 years old. And he's sitting there begging for alms. And it's interesting, because all of the religious leaders have passed by him for 40 years, watching him beg for alms. And you know how it is. The lamer that you are, the more alms you get. You know, in India, even today, they'll maim little children. So they'll be more pitiful, so you have more compassion, so they can have more alms. So that in their next life, if they were a really good beggar in this life, maybe they could be something better in their next life, like maybe a cow. It's ridiculous. So Peter looks at this man, and he says, what do you want? You know, he's asking them for alms, for money. And he goes, I don't have silver or gold, but here's what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And there's a miracle. He, his ankles grow together, the bones crack, and, and he steps up on his feet, and he's, he's in shock. He, he's amazed. He's, he's experiencing a healing in the name of Jesus. And we can pick up the story right there and watch what happens with the religious leaders, because you won't even believe it. This is Acts 3.1. If you would stand up while I read the word of God, that would be great. You can lean right in to the story. Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer. That's the ninth hour. It's about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, if you wondered. The Jewish time started at 6 a.m. in those days. It says, A certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, asking for alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. Fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the, at the beautiful gate at the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them to the porch, which is called Solomon's, and they were greatly amazed. And Peter saw this, and he responded to the people. He said, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why do you look intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? You can sit down. So Peter goes on to tell them again in this story everything that just happened with Jesus, all the history and how powerful it is. And in, in this whole time, G Peter has found a message. The message is, hey, why are you wondering at what Jesus can do? He did all these miracles when he was alive. He said greater things we would do. We're doing the work of Jesus. The Christians were first called that in Antioch because they were like little Christ. They were doing the work that Jesus did. That, we're going to come across that in, in this book of Acts in just a little bit. They're called Christians because they're doing what Jesus did. And this healing is no exception. So Peter, in all of his boldness, goes on to tell them, you know, what, what went on. And interestingly, his message is, you are marveling, but you murdered Jesus. In essence, I'm paraphrasing. You murdered Jesus. You crucified him. But we know that you did that because you were ignorant. You didn't realize that he was the Messiah. But you killed him. And here's what you have to do to be saved. You have to repent and then be baptized, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and live your life. 
It's pretty powerful. And Peter preaches this over and over again. And he has little disciples. Peter is making disciples. People are being joined. They're joining to the church daily in epic numbers in huge proportions. And they're, they're preaching the gospel and people are coming into the number. They're, they're believing what, what the guys are saying, what they live their life for. And that's what we're supposed to do. How long has it been since you have prayed for someone and watched them recover in healing? I have seen this with my own eyes. I'm going to tell you a couple stories. So, and they're not from years and years and years ago or decades ago, just a couple of years ago. And, and the thing about praying for people that are sick is that there has to be sick people. <laughs> if you don't need a miracle, how are you going to get one? So you have to need a miracle. And I was in an elevator one time with, with Angie Liggins. If you don't know Angie, she's probably as bold as maybe a lion. And so you, we walked into uh, an elevator at Ikea. And there was a woman, and she was kind of hobbling a little bit. And Angie's like, hey, what's, what's happening? How's it going? This was before you had to wear, you know, a mask in public. And Angie, even then, she would talk right through it. But she just said, hey, what, what, uh, what's going on there with your leg? And she goes, oh, I just had this, you know, this pain. I had this situation in my leg. And Angie goes, hey, I'm going to pray for you. I'm a Christian. And, you know, is that okay? And she's like, yeah. And so Angie reaches down. I know the lady kind of looked a little taken aback because she's thinking Angie's going to go home and pray for her or maybe put her name on a prayer chain or maybe just lift up her name later at the church or something. But no, Angie was doing this. She was like, I don't have silver and gold, but I can see that you have a need. And what I do have is the name of Jesus. And she leaned in and she put her hand on that lady's knee. And she's like, is that okay? And the lady's like, yeah. Her husband's like, what's happening here? Puts her hand on the knee. In the name of Jesus, I speak healing to your body. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. I pray that it quicken your mortal body and you be healed. And she goes, you know what? That feels better. I'm like, well, yeah, it feels better. Why do you marvel at this like we did it? We can't do that. We're walking and operating in the name and the power of Jesus. I, I was walking through a Target store one time with my brother, Scott. And there was a, somebody was sick in that room. And you could hear a man just coughing. And do you remember this? It was years ago. But it was like Scott has this evangelist fire in him. You know, it's the calling of, of like of a general to lead people, you know. And he, and he walks up to this person in all kindness. And he's like, hey, can I pray for you? I'm a Christian. I, I believe in healing. And they're like, yeah. You know, we think people don't want this. People want this. People are starving for this. People are thirsty for something, for some Christian to know the God that they served and not be conventional and not be squelched down by what the world is ordering or what political correctness is dictating. Let's get back to what the Bible says and back to what God is in, he's called us to do and what he's empowered us to do. And let's move in that kind of an anointing. I might not have silver and gold, but you know what I have? The name of Jesus of Nazareth. Could you get up and walk? Can you be free from that consumption? Can this fever break in Jesus' name? Do we believe that our God is a healer or don't we? See, when we forget who we are and we forget that Holy Spirit empowering flows through us, we can get a little lethargic. We get a little, maybe a little dull. And that's okay, that's good news. Because once you recognize that, you just ask the Holy Spirit for, in all of his goodness to come again and baptize you again and to breathe fire and to breathe life on you. See, something must have been in those little tongues of fire that landed on those guys. Because they changed, and we will too. We will transform as well. So the story about this cripple man, you know, the Jewish leaders get, get wind of what happened, and they know him. They've seen him every day sitting out there begging, and they know that he was crippled from birth. They know because they stepped over him and didn't do a darn thing for his life, his entire life. 
And then here's this name of Jesus being spoken and he's walking. Well, that might look bad on them. It could, could look bad on them. And their, their advice was, let's, let's find out who did that. Who's responsible for that? And let's stop that because we don't want this to spread. We got to get a hold on this Jesus thing real quick because this could spread around. And so it's, you know, the word comes, well, it's Peter and John. They're out there healing. They're doing it right now. They're out there preaching right now. Bring them in. Let's arrest them and let's question them. And so they come in before the council. They're questioned. And they say, the, the Jewish leaders by the Roman guards' uh, authority are saying, hey, what, what are you doing out there? Why are you preaching this stuff? And they're like, well, we have to. This is what happened. And Peter does his whole message. He speaks his whole message again. You know, you murdered Jesus. He's the Messiah. He came back. He's alive and well. He came to us on the day of Pentecost. He's empowered us with great power. We're doing good deeds in his name. And they go, stop doing that. Stop. You're going to stop doing that. And they're like, well, you decide if we should obey God or you. And then they went out and preached some more. And of course, they get arrested again. They have beatings. They have floggings. They have a lot of things that go on in their, in their lives. But they're, they're changed men. They're changed forever by this power that is rested on them. The book of Acts offers us how to live a spirit-filled life. How are you supposed to conduct yourself on the day-to-day? And look, you know, I'm talking about following God in a way that he actually has input into your decision-making process through the week, every day that you get up. You know, you have that little check in your spirit. The Bible says you have an unction from the Holy One. You have a little direction that says, go this way, go that way. Walk away from that. Step into that. You have it all the time. You know, can I get a witness? You, you feel it all the time speaking to you. Go left, go right. Your part is to surrender yourself to it completely and go, I hear you there, God. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow you. I've asked the Holy Spirit to live in me. Now I'm going to deal in the way that he's telling me to deal. I'm going to go left when he says go left. I'm going to go right when he says go right. Unless I harden my hard little heart and decide I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And then what happens? You have an inward struggle that's constant that you can't quite get past. Are you glad you came to church today? I'm so glad you did too. James 5.14 says this, is anyone among you sick? If so, he should call for the elders of the church to pray over him, anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And that prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And after that, it even says your sins will be forgiven. Woo! (laughs) This is good preaching right here. I'm telling you what. I've seen this stuff happen so many times and I want to see it again. I'm very hungry for it. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I heard Stacy say recently, you're going to be my witnesses in Samaria. And she broke it down like as though it were some area. In Samaria, but what if it's some area? What if you're going through some area and it's just hard? And you, but you have to go through it. And you have to keep going through it. And as you go in the sight line of Jesus and what he's calling you to, you gain momentum. And you start to get on the other side and you come out of some area into Judea and to all the rest of the... Yeah. Thanks, Mom. This is good. Qualities of this said power. Boldness. Preaching the word. Praying prayers that heal. Having discernment. Staying in community and studying, all of those things require the power of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, they're dry and dead and religious. Remember religion? It only cares what it looks like, but Jesus cares what it is. When when you have power from the Holy Spirit to study, it's way different than making yourself, forcing yourself to stay up and cram all night for a test you have tomorrow. 
This is way bigger than any test you've ever had to study for. This is about eternity and your life hanging in the balance. Home is heaven, talking about the other side. So we, we go on through, this, through these couple chapters here in, in Acts, and we come across this, this couple named Ananias and Sapphira. It's worth mentioning. We're just taking a walk through the book of Acts, so I'm pulling out the things that I find interesting to talk about. You should read it too, because God will speak to you about things in your life and what you're going through, and maybe something will catch your attention that maybe didn't catch mine this time around. But Ananias and Sapphira, look, it's so funny that we, didn't, we weren't ready to take the offering uh, when we usually do, because we'll take it at the end. This is so funny to me. I, just God has such a sense of humor. So Ananias and Sapphira, it's like they're all, all the Christians are connecting. They're building a community. They're getting in each other's lives. They're selling possessions, and then they're providing for those who have needs. And they are, you know, we wouldn't have to have a socialist government if we had a Christian church. That's for free. Okay, so it's like the whole thing, though, it's like they, they stand up, and they're, sell, they're selling all of their things, and they're coming into a community together. And this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, come before Peter. Peter's doing collecting. He's looking at what's coming in, divvying out where money needs to go. And Ananias comes in, and what he did is he sold something, but he only gave a portion of the money. Nothing wrong with that. It's his money. It's his money to give. And you can put those scriptures up there. Yeah, here it is. Here's the story in the Bible. I'm just going to paraphrase it for us for time. But it's like, when Peter's looking at the guy and he's like, oh, is this what you're bringing? Yeah, this is what I, I sold that. I sold the field. Here's the money. And Peter has what we're going to call discernment, which is the ability to read the situation beyond what's he, what he sees right in front of his face. My family is very strong in this. That's why it's hard to build a church around this much discernment and this much power. It's, it, but it's good. And when you get it, you get it for good, man. You get it down in your soul and you're able to just be contagious with it. And so Peter looks at this guy, and he's like, oh, this is what you sold the field for. He says, yep, here's my offering. And Peter's like, why would you have a heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Why would, when the field was yours, was it not yours to sell? Was all the money that you gained not yours to keep? Why do you come in here and pretend like you're part of it when you're not? How'd you like that for an offering teaching this morning? You know what happens next? Ananias hears the words that he lied to the Holy Spirit, and he dropped dead right in front of Peter. Boom, you're done. The wife comes in a little bit later. She knew all about it. She doesn't know. They already carried her husband out. They say, well, what, what are you doing here? Oh, I just came to be part of, I wanted to get the glory for that, that offering that we gave from that field that we sold. Well, the people that just took your, your husband's body out are coming back in for years. Boom, she's gone. You know, that's the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord comes on all the people who hear that story. We don't have the fear of the Lord anymore. That's scary. That is a scary place to be because you know where the gospel flourishes? Where it's persecuted. You never, were you ever, ever able to see the way of all things coming to an end, a great culmination in the great United States of America where we have everything? Welcome to the times. God will make a way in his people. And I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about the church. We have to find a place where we have the fear of the Lord on us again, where our hearts are quickened that what might, what might I do that might please God? And how can I get my life lined up with that and walk in that kind of power to be bold, to be a witness, to preach, to say prayers that heal the sick, to study, to serve, to give. Are you feeling me? Feeling myself.
See, everybody's looking for like a breakthrough, you know? Man, God's already given us everything we need to break through, so break through. Apply the things that you know, man. You've got everything you need in you and on you for this life and for godliness. We're looking for breakthrough. God's equipped us to break through, so breakthrough. Discernment, I was going to talk a little bit about this for a second before I move on to the next thing, but when my kids were little, you know, they would say, hey, mom, they'd grow into their teenage years, 12, 13, and, you know, try to be sneaky. Yeah, you should get up right now, Stacy, because this is going to be all about you. So, you know, they would try to pull something over on me and, you know, try to tell me something that they're going to do. And, and I would just, sometimes I'd be like, oh, yeah, that'd be great. You want to go to Six Flags with the youth group? That's awesome. Who's going? Tell me who's going. I'll say, okay. That's great. You have a good time. Here's a little. Here's some money. You know, have have fun. Be safe. Be smart. Make good choices. And sometimes they would tell me something they wanted to do, and I would have that feeling like in this area, like right here, like right under your heart, right above your stomach. It's just like your discerner. That's where it's located. And in there, it says, "Better not do that." That's the thing I was talking about. That unction that you have from the Holy One that tells you to go this way and go that. Well, when my kids would tell me something and I knew it wasn't going to be right, I would say, no, I don't have a good feeling about that. I do not discern that that will be good. And they would be like, oh, man, I hate church. You know, I hate religion. I hate this stuff. This doesn't work. And I'd be like, well, you'll be all right. You'll be all right. You'll be safe, and I'll know where you are. You, maybe you can go next time. Can I sleep over at so-and-so's house? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Why sometimes yes and sometimes no? I don't know. It's discernment. I've learned to trust it. It's like a little tool that can lead you into good places and lead you out of bad places. It speaks to your heart and life. You have it too. God wants you to work in it and operate in it, you know? I mean, what, there was a time where I wasn't planning on telling you this, but it just came up in my, my spirit, so I'll tell you. You know, Jessie, she's not here. We can talk about her. She was on a, she went out with some of her friends, ended up at a party, and they were serving something there called Everclear in red Kool-Aid or something. You know, something, something delicious that was like a snow cone. And she didn't realize she was getting blitzed out of her mind. And she was drinking it, and all of a sudden, she's, she's drunk. And her friend who took her to this party, college party, she was in high school, um, didn't ask because I have discernment. It's better to get forgiveness than permission in, in those days. So she calls me, or she, she, didn't, she texts me. She texts me. Hey, can I spend the night at Megan's? That was her friend that took her to this party. And I'm like, no, you're 10 minutes till curfew. Get home. But I have that feeling. So I was waiting up for her anyway, waiting up for her to come in. So what happened is her friend took her phone, and her friend is texting me like she's my daughter. And she said something like, well, Megan really needs me, Mom. Come on. She's really desperate. She needs a friend tonight. And I said, I already said no. I have, I have discernment. I need you to come home. And it's, she said, you have what? And I go, who is this? Because my child knows what discernment is. My child is aware of who her mother is. And you better answer right now. And, and so then I started calling. I called Megan's house. I get Scott up. He's like, what's going on? I'm like, I don't know. Jesse's not home. Somebody has her phone. It's not her. Let's go find her. And you know what we did? We got in the car. We, we said, hey, Megan, we're coming to your house. We basically abducted a child from her own home in the middle of the night and took her to get our child from wherever she was sitting at a party. You know why? Because we're their parents. What, did I want to teach her a hard lesson about 
getting drunk and being with the wrong people? Not tonight, because there was discernment going on that said, you better go get your girl. And we did. We parked our Xterra right in the front yard. And it's got, you know, if you've ever tried to watch someone kick down a door on those police shows and they just go, and they kick it in. It doesn't happen that way. It's like, boom, boom, boom. You know, I'm like, he's going to ram this car through. You guys better bring our daughter out. And here she came. We rescued her. Anyway, long story, just to say, when there's discernment, you act, right? I'm not talking about just being a parent. That's just the crazy. You haven't seen me crazy until you start messing with my kids, my nieces, my family. You know, there's a discernment in the, in the people of God to understand where they are and what they're supposed to do. When is it time to speak the word? When is it time to hold your tongue? When is it time to lay hands on the sick? When is it time to reach out and put your hand on someone? Remember the leper that Jesus also healed? Man, all he needed was a touch. More than he even probably needed healing because he hadn't had a human touch in so long. When is it discerning the time to lay your hand on? When is it a time to discern, to speak a kind word? You have that. You are more than you think you are. Okay. So this moves us into a place in the book of Acts. You know, all the disciples are going around doing good works, doing healing, preaching, being, you know, studying, studying the word and the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of Isaiah before him. And it's a, it's a powerful time. And it comes on to um, a, a little place in the Bible where there's a group of Hellenists. They're a different kind of study. They have a different kind of study about the things of God. And they're criticizing the disciples because they're just, they're studying, they're praying, they're hanging out together, they're building community, they're praying for sick. But the, the widows and the orphans were being neglected. The widows and orphans were being neglected. And the disciples were like, well, man, we can't just stop what we're doing and preaching the gospel to serve widows and orphans, so what should we do? And they select like seven, seven different men, seven different men that are full of the spirit of God to serve the widows and orphans. That's who we get to put groceries in the backs of cars for people that are hungry on every other Saturday right out here. People who are full of the spirit of God, who are full of kindness, who are bold, who will be unafraid to preach or unafraid to reach in the window and pray for somebody who might need a touch. Stephen wasn't just somebody in the backdrop that you get like the extras to go ahead and fill in for those jobs and then the important people preach. No, the body of Christ is a whole. And these are the men that were gifted to serve the tables, to take care of the widows and orphans, and they're full of the Holy Spirit, and they're full of power. And one of the guys that stands out in this particular text is a man named Stephen, and he is wonderful. He's even handsome. It says that when they look at him, they observe that he has the face of an angel. That's pretty cool. He has favor. He's probably in the 120 that we're waiting. I mean, we could probably assume that. He's hanging around the disciples, and they're choosing him to come up and be part of their staff, so to speak. He was probably there when the tongues descended on people. I mean, I'm, I'm speculating that, but where did he come from? You know, they know him. They're choosing him to come and serve. They know this guy, and he's a good one. And while he's, while he's doing his good deeds, he's preaching about Jesus and about how he changed the world and about how the Messiah has come and how there's, there's freedom. He didn't come to build a kingdom on this earth, but he came to build a kingdom in heaven, the kingdom of God, and how there's remission for sin and how you can be owned and in the presence of God, how you can know your maker again and how you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's preaching all this stuff. And some people hear him. It's a group. They're called freed men. They have... 
They're, they're like a sect of Pharisees that, that see themselves as even more narcissistic than the Pharisees. And they are coming in, and they're complaining to the Jewish leaders and to the Romans about Stephen. And they're like, he's out here doing what those guys were doing. Look, last week you had somebody get healed out here in the name of Jesus. Now you got this radical over here preaching about forgiveness of sin. Who needs to come to the temple and give 10% when these guys are on the loose? This is going to spread like fire. We have to stop this. And so they, they arrest Stephen and they ask him, is this true? Is this true what you're doing? As we'll pick up the story here in the scripture. This is in Acts chapter 6. It says, Stephen is full of faith and power. He did great signs among the people. And there arose from what is the synagogue. They were called the freed men. They were disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. The wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Lord, let that be on us. Right? Right? They were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. And then they secretly induced men to say, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people. You know, people are always going to stir up the people. I, I believe this. Anyone who puts their mouth against you, God will put his hand on them. And you don't have to, you don't have to make it right. He will make it right. You keep your focus on where God's called you and what you're supposed to be doing. It says, the elders, the scribes, the Pharisees came upon Stephen. They seized him, brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against the holy place and the law. We've heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will, Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council looked steadfastly at him and saw that his face was the face of an angel. And they're sitting there questioning him. It's like, it's amazing. He doesn't deny exactly what they're saying, but he's like, brothers, let me, let me reason with you. And right here, if you would go home and read this today, Stephen, he preaches the history of the church from the beginning all the way till where they were in that present time where the Messiah had come. And he has discernment to understand that he's not getting out of that situation and you can tell because he's making a plea. He's making his appeal. He's explaining to them what happened. He's looking for that, that Hail Mary shot. Like maybe something will happen and they'll get it. But he has discernment. He realizes that, that they're not going to get it. He, he ended up, when, we, when I'm going to read the scripture again, right before this, he's saying, you know, they wanted to build a house for him. But God was like, my, I can't be contained in a house. I want to be in the hearts of my people. And that's where we pick up this story in Acts chapter 7. Verse 48, Stephen's in the middle of his sermon. He says, however, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? What is the place of my rest? Has, his, has my hand not made all things? And right here is where he turns at. And he goes, you stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you have now become the betrayers and murderers, whom have received the law by the direction of angels, but you've not kept it. When they heard him say these things, they were cut to the heart. They gnashed at him with their teeth. You know, when you hear the truth and you're cut to the heart, don't gnash your teeth and defend yourself. Repent. Repentance is a cure. They had a moment of opportunity right there, but they couldn't do it. Why? Lust, greed, and the pride of life broke them down. 
They heard these words, they were cut to the heart, they gnashed their teeth, but being full of the Holy Spirit, Stephen gazed into heaven, he saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see the heavens open, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, and then they cried out with a loud voice, they stopped up their ears and they ran at him with one accord. They cast him out of the city and they stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen, and he was calling on God. He said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he knelt down, and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And then he died. And Stephen is a remarkable example of what it means to live a spirit-filled life. And, and what's so beautiful about this portion of his story is that Jesus has already entered his rest he already did all the work. He already equipped the whole world with, with everything we need for life and godliness. He's already gone back to the Father and sent the Holy Spirit to encamp and empower every one of us. And he is seated then at the right hand of the Father. But in this text, Jesus stands up. You know why? It doesn't matter if the crowd's against you. It doesn't matter if people say bad things about you and bring your name down and try to define you in a way that you're not. It doesn't matter if there's a hard hand against you and whatever you've endured. When Jesus sees you doing the right thing, when he watches you filled with the Holy Spirit boldness, proclaiming the goodness, he stands up and receives you into his presence, into his company. That, that's like, that is legit. We want that. We want to be cloaked in the arms of Jesus, of all things. When Jesus said that, when Jesus stood up and received Stephen, you know, somebody was saying, well, do you think that that was a painless situation? You think Jesus just took him out of the body? No, he was stoned. He, what does that mean? That doesn't mean he had some really good, you know, doesn't mean that. I mean, he was, stones were hurled at him until he died. Stones were thrown at his face and body until he died. He felt that. And if you, if you look, he came back with Peter's message. He murdered Jesus, but it's okay. There's repentance if you'll have it. And they wouldn't have it. And he came back with Jesus' message. Don't hold this sin against them, Father. More mercy, more grace. And look, I wanna, I'm going to wrap up with this thought right here. Does it sometimes feel like you're just going through motions? You know, this is the way we go to church. Go to church, go to church. You know, this is the way we go to work. Go to work, go to work. I think, I think that happens. I think we get lethargic. I think we get tired. And I find in my life, when I experience those feelings, it's because I'm trying to operate in my own strength, my own gifting, what I can do, what I can produce and what I can make happen. But when I rely on the Holy Spirit of God and I ask him, baptize me afresh, I ask him to live in me and move in me, I'm able to accomplish exceedingly abundantly more than I ever could in my own strength. And that's what this message is leading us to in the book of Acts. Right here, this leads up to the, the man whose feet they laid their garments in so they could stone Stephen. That guy was Paul. And we're getting ready to break open the whole life of the Apostle Paul starting next week and learn more about being filled with holy boldness. The book of Acts is filled with the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit to live a God-centered life. You were born for such a time as this. If you trust that God made you, 
that God is the author of your life, that he wrote all the pages about your life, he knows every breath you're going to take, then you know that you were born at the right time, this time. Thank God we weren't born in the Victorian era. We would have to go to the bathroom outside. Ladies, we would have to cinch our waist tiny like a Barbie and not be able to breathe. It would just not be a good situation. But listen, God has called us to live at this time, right now. And he has empowered us with the Holy Spirit. His word is timeless. I encourage you to speak it. Pray the best prayers you can. The prayers of faith heal the sick. And jump into this word. Read with me in the book of Acts. We're going to jump in chapter 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, something like that next week. I love you. See you next time. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Remember to like and follow for the next installment of the Loft Podcast. If you want to be a partner with the Loft, you can give on Givelify.com. If you need more information, check us out on Facebook or at theloftgathering.com. And of course, join us 1030 Sunday mornings. Hope you have a great week. Till next time.